Hey, I'm Kaylee. And I'm Sierra. And this is True Crime and Punishment. Episode 5. Today's episode will be a little bit different from our normal format. You've heard the saying, there are two sides to every story. Well, today we will be putting that saying to the test. That's right. Today, Sierra and I are going to go over a case together. We're both going to tell you details from this case, and we're both going to be telling you the absolute truth based on our source information. However, each side of the story might lead you to a different conclusion. Now, neither of us will be using incorrect information or half-truths to deceive you, but based on how the information is presented, you might arrive at a different culprit. Without further ado, Sierra. So, without further ado, Sierra is going to tell us the story of Jesse Madison Holton. Our story begins on September 11th, 2016. On this day, a deputy sheriff arrived at the home of former Mayor Michael Holton in Eclectic, Alabama. Michael called the sheriff because his son, Jesse Madison, who goes by Madison, had thrown a party while Michael was at work. Madison and his friends had apparently trashed the place. The deputy found Madison with his hands handcuffed behind his back. He was on the couch and he appeared to be quiet. According to one article, the deputy said that Madison was sullen on the couch. Madison's parents, Michael and April, were both present. They both seemed to want to teach their son a lesson, and they asked the deputy how to file a petition to make Madison go before a juvenile judge. They couldn't do anything about it that day, but the deputy told them how they could arrange for that, and then he'd left at 4.48 p.m. Around 4.59 p.m., a neighbor called 911, again for a disturbance at the Holton house. And that's only 11 minutes later, correct? Right. During those 11 minutes between the deputy's departure and the 911 phone call, Madison, still handcuffed, had run to his neighbor's house, claiming that his mom and dad had gotten into a physical fight. He claimed he had kicked open a bedroom door to find his dad holding his mom in a headlock. Madison claimed he grabbed two cell phones and ran out the front door. After the neighbor called 911, the police arrived on the scene to find both Michael and April Holton on the ground, a gun in between them. Michael was pronounced dead at the scene. He had a bullet hole, the entrance wound was on the back left side of his head, and the exit wound was on the right front side of his head. April had a bullet wound in her head, and her right hand was also injured as if she had been trying to defend herself. Both victims' wounds were described as close contact. Although it seemed from Madison's report that this was a grisly murder-suicide, the police department was not convinced. The main issue was Michael Holton's head wound. In order for him to shoot himself, he would have had to use his left hand, even though he was right-handed, and he would have had to hold the gun basically upside down to get the proper angle for the bullet's trajectory. Sheriff Bill Franklin said, I've been in law enforcement for 39 years. I've never seen somebody try to commit suicide in such a weird, unique manner. There were also a few things about Madison himself and his testimony that made the sheriff's department question his story. The bedroom door where the bodies have been found showed no signs of being kicked open, according to the department. There were also a few things about Madison's demeanor and his testimony that made the sheriff's department question his story. The bedroom door where the bodies had been found showed no signs of being kicked open, and Madison himself seemed to be acting a bit strangely. Leading up to, in the days leading up to the event, Madison had been going through a rebellious phase that troubled both of his parents, according to different sources that I looked at. 
on the day of the deaths, he appeared to show a lack of emotion or remorse. And that lack of emotion seemed to continue, according to different reports, throughout his time in jail and the different hearings that would occur after. The Montgomery Advertiser made this the opening line while they were reporting on the preliminary hearing. Jesse Madison Holton was smoking a cigarette at his next-door neighbor's home mere moments after he allegedly shot his mother and father in the head, an investigator testified Wednesday morning. So they were commenting that even in this time period where he just saw his parents apparently fighting with each other, he seems to be just sitting at his neighbor's house just smoking a cigarette. Another news outlet said that during the hearings after the event, Holton laughed while waiting for his preliminary hearing and showed no emotion when attorneys and an investigator discussed the gruesome deaths of his parents. On the day of the murder, Bill Franklin said that Madison seemed to be more concerned about missing school than about the deaths of his parents. And according to a sheriff office investigator, Madison made different bizarre comments after being taken into custody. And he also had some interesting phone conversations from jail. He wanted to know what the girls he had slept with felt about sleeping with a murderer, according to the sheriff investigator. He also allegedly stated that he didn't care if his parents were alive or not. Also, one article explains that Sheriff Bill Franklin contended early in the investigation that Madison Holton had a self-proclaimed issue with becoming agitated if he had not used marijuana and Adderall. So he could have been in a mindset to potentially cause some damage on this day if he did not have his Adderall or marijuana. Now, although Madison had been handcuffed when he appeared at his neighbor's house, police officers believed that a couple things could have happened. He either could have slipped out of the cuffs in time to go into the room and shoot both of his parents, or perhaps he found the key in the living room and unlocked the cuffs allowing him to go in and shoot them. And then he slipped them back on before he went to his neighbor's house. But they believe that there was a way where he could have gotten out. After all, it seemed very unlikely that Michael Holton could have shot himself and the only other person in the house at the time was Madison. There seemed to be no other option for the killer. Police officers were also suspicious because Madison claimed that he had never heard the gunshot, not even when he was running across to the neighbors. However, given the distance between the two houses, this seemed quite unlikely. At first, a grand jury indicted Madison on a murder charge just for the death of his father. A second grand jury indicted Madison for the murders of both parents. There seemed to be a clear killer, a clear motive as well for these deaths. However, in October of 2018, the charges against Madison were dismissed. The reason? There was not enough evidence to conclude that he was responsible for his parents' deaths. So what led to this reasonable doubt that led to the dismissal of these charges? What could have led to this conclusion? That's where I come in. Now, everything that Sirius just told you is true. Those are all the facts of the case. But I think it would be beneficial to hear a little bit beyond the average facts. Let's go back to Mike and April. Sierra said they were married, and that is true. However, at the time of the incident, they were legally um, in the process of getting divorced. They were separated. Now, why were they getting separated, you may ask? 
They had been together since high school. They were high school sweethearts. However, Mike had a bit of a drug problem. Actually, at the time of the murder, Mike was on hydrocodone, oxycodone, and tramadol. All three of these are controlled substances, opioids to be exact, and they're within the opioid family. They're all extremely addictive. They're all types of painkillers. And being on all three at once is not good for you, let's say it that way. Speaking of drugs, a lot of reportage from this case comes from the fact that Madison was on Adderall and marijuana at the time, and he told officers that he gets agitated when he's not on that. That Adderall was legally prescribed. He had ADHD. And many people with ADHD, when they're off of their Adderall, get agitated when it comes to marijuana. Any sort of drug that you have to wean yourself off of, you're going to get agitated. I don't believe he was telling officers that he was going to be violent or he resorted to violence when he was not on these medications. That was misrepresented grossly. When he wasn't on his Adderall medication and he wasn't smoking marijuana, he could become agitated from the withdrawal. Now, when you hear about the party that Madison threw, you hear often about the drugs that were at this party, which, yeah, it was a teenage party. There was alcohol and drugs around, specifically homemade bongs. So there's a lot of dope being smoked. And there was some drug paraphernalia, but there was never any specifics about drugs that are harder than that, beyond just marijuana leaves and cigarettes and alcohol. It's not like these kids were doing coke, <laughs> um, or at least it's not reported as stuff like that. Just that drug paraphernalia, which when you consider the fact they had homemade bongs, which you can make out of a water bottle, <laughs> um, that's what was at this party. Now, Madison's story seems a little bit too perfect oh, my dad got me arrested or was going to have me arrested in juvenile court and then all of a sudden he ends up dead because he's told me I can't party anymore. It does seem very convenient. I will give give you that. However, we need to go back to those handcuffs, which Sierra did mention. The police believe that he got the handcuffs off and then put them back on before running to the neighbor after shooting his mother and father. I take a little bit of issue with that and here's why. The secondary phone call is placed 11 minutes after the police left the Holton residence. Now, this is just Mike Holton's home. April Holton no longer lived there. She actually had a boyfriend, which we will get to later, as the couple had been separated for some time. It's fully plausible to believe that he was able to get these cuffs off, I guess. Madison's hands were cuffed behind his back. That is how his father had him cuffed. That is how officers saw him when they came to the house the first time. Now, when they came back 11 minutes later, his hands were still behind his back still cuffed together. So while it is plausible that he could have gotten those cuffs off, shot his mother and father, hidden any evidence of this, and then run to his neighbor's house, that seems a little bit hard to believe, and here's why I say that. First, there was no blood on Madison. There was no gunshot residue on his hands. In fact, when the gun was fingerprinted, there was only one definitive set of fingerprints that could be found on the gun, and they were April's. So Madison's fingerprints were not on the gun, and his father's could not be determined to be on the gun either. So to believe that Madison shot his parents, here's what would have needed to have happened. First, he would have needed to either have been freed from the cuffs by maybe one of his parents, or he would have had to been able to take them off himself. Now, the key to the handcuffs were in the living room. So yes, he could have grabbed the key could have gotten his hands in front of him somehow, which is possible by stepping over your own hands. It is a bit difficult if you've never had to do it before. I mean, ha take a second, stand up, link your hands together, and try and step over your own hands from behind your back. It's possible, but it takes a little bit more coordination than you might think. 
So he would have had to step over his own hands, somehow unlock his own cuffs, which might have been somewhat difficult because your hands are usually cuffed together very closely. Gone into his parents' bedroom, shot both of his parents without any fight from one of whichever one he did not shoot first. Clean himself up from any blood, take his prints off the gun, clean any gunshot residue off of his hands, recuff himself, get his hands back behind his back, and then run out of the house over to his neighbor. Now, possible. But he would have had to have become a mastermind of criminology in that moment to have come up with all of that on the fly in under 10 minutes. Because yes, it took 11 minutes for that call to be placed. But you have to consider that he would have had to wait for the cops to leave and then he would have had to run over to his neighbor's house. And now this house, from based on the map images that I saw, they're not right next to each other. They're not a great distance away. But they're not like duplexes. <laughs> he would have had to free himself from the handcuffs shoot and kill both of his parents, wipe his prints off the gun, potentially place his mother's prints on the gun, or wipe his prints off and somehow miss his own mother's prints on the gun, clean himself of blood and gunshot residue, recuff himself, get his hands behind his back, and then run to the neighbors to have them call the cops, all in under about 10 minutes. Now that seems a little unlikely to me, but I've never plotted to kill my parents, so who knows? It is a lot to do in a short amount of time. It really is. Madison's story is that he walked into his parents' bedroom, or his dad's bedroom, because it's not his mother's house, walked into the bedroom, and his father had his mother in a chokehold and was attacking his mother. Now, Madison also tells us that their relationship was not in a good place because his father was very, very distressed about his mother and their separation, and also the fact that his mother had a new boyfriend at the time. To quote Madison directly, he said he like freaked out and then he called her and he was going off on her about it. He was like, I need you. I can't live without you. Stuff like that. Whenever we got back home, I had never seen my dad cry before, but he was bawling. Now, we can't take the word of our prime suspect that his father was at this drastic place. However, we can take Mike's word for it because in Mike's journal, he documented his own depression and distress over his wife leaving him uh writing in a letter to his estranged wife i just can't go on knowing that you are with somebody else it was either me or the both of us madison believes and told police that it was a murder suicide that his father shot his mother and then killed himself but as sierra mentioned the original coroner's report believed it was believed that mike could not have shot himself in the back of the head um, first of all, Mike was well-respected. He was the former mayor, which, according to Mike himself, he stepped down from that position due to wanting to spend more time with his family. However, if you ask his extended family, specifically, I believe, April's brothers, he stepped down due to a continuing and worsening drug habit. So I can see how it's hard to swallow that the former mayor, someone who was well-known, well-liked, enough to be an elected official at one point, could commit such a heinous act. And then you have the evidence that the gun was in his non-dominant hand, um, despite the fact there are reports that he was ambidextrous, and that he'd shot himself in the back of the head. Now, one thing you'll see a lot is that the gun, his hand, would have had to be upside down. Now, I've already asked you to get up and try and step over your own hands in this episode, and I apologize for that, but I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. Take your hand, specifically your non-dominant hand, 
which for me would be my right hand, and put it to the back of your head in the shape of a finger gun. It's really awkward to hold that barrel up straight with your thumb pointing towards the air. Now take your hand, put it behind your head, and twist it as you would naturally would your arm. Your hand will naturally bend over upside down, just because that's a more comfortable shape. So when trying to do the motion yourself, which is a bit morbid, and I apologize for that, it's more natural to flip your hand upside down. It's more comfortable. So it is completely possible, and I would wager more likely that the barrel of the gun, it's a small gun, would be upside down. And just because when you turn to put your hand behind your head, your hand automatically turns over so that your thumb is pointed down towards the ground. So I don't think it's strange that he shot himself with an upside down gun. I think that would be the more natural movement. So all of this could technically be circumstantial considering we can't find um, Mike's prints in this gun either and I could not find any information about gunshot residue being found on Mike's hand. We can look towards April's face. Now Sierra mentioned that her hands have been in front of her face and one of her fingers had been damaged by a bullet wound. Another thing we see, underneath her fingernails they found skin cells. When they ran these skin cells for DNA analysis, it wasn't Madison's DNA that popped up, but Mike's. Mike also had scratches on his face. So it looks like defensive wounds from April, who was trying to fight back against her husband, who, according to her own son, had had her in a chokehold when he ran out. When you factor in all of this information with the journal entry, the wounds on Mike's face, his DNA being found under April's fingernails, it makes things like not hearing the gunshot seem a little less important, but that still could be important. How could he not hear that gunshot? Well, actually, I can't explain that one away. But let's consider adrenaline. You have just seen your father, who you have noticed becoming more and more depressed and more and more upset about your mother moving on from their relationship, attacking your mother. You've been at a party. You've been busted for partying. Where marijuana was found, you have most likely been drinking. And you see that and you're running for help with your hands cuffed behind your back because your father has put you in handcuffs. Some would say that's probably an odd day to have. So let's consider that perhaps he did not hear the gunshot because first of all, it's a small gun. Second of all, he is running for help in an extreme situation. I think it's probably normal to have not heard that. Do not be too focused on listening for a gunshot when your parents are when your father is attacking your mother. I'm convinced of who I think is guilty. And I'm not sure where you stand at this point. But I do know where April's brothers stand. Uh, Madison's uncle, Chris Owenby, did believe that Mike snapped and just committed suicide after murdering his wife. Uh, and quote, he said, I think Michael couldn't face the world knowing that he killed his wife and the only option left for him was to end his own life. And remember, um, Mike had been under the influence of hydrocodone, oxycodone, and tramadol when this all took place. So he was on three opioids. He was struggling with some depression. When you look at April's family, we didn't mention this earlier because it's not necessarily relevant. Madison has two brothers, and at the time of his parents' death, his brothers were taken in by his mom's family. When 
Madison himself was released from jail after charges were dropped. He was also taken in by his mother's family. They do not think he did this. His mother's brothers do not think this was his fault that he did this. They fully believe that Michael did it. So his supposed victim, her family, does not believe that he did this. He has not reoffended in the years since this has happened and the charges have been dropped. He leads a quiet life and he is still assuring people of his innocence. So when you look at all the facts together and you look at the drug use on both sides, you look at the circumstances, you look at journal entries from Mike himself, you look at history of addiction, it's kind of looking like it wasn't Madison. <laughs> we'll add to that the words of District Attorney Randall Houston, who, cl- who had this to say when the charges against Madison were dropped. From the beginning, this case has been open to interpretation as to what is actually the truth. Either Jesse Holton killed his father and mother, the father of Jesse Holton killed Jesse's mother, then Jesse killed his father, or the father of Jesse Holton killed Jesse's mother and then killed himself. My office has reason to believe any of these three scenarios could have occurred, but we have no proof to support any of the three theories beyond a reasonable doubt. Therefore, we are ethically obligated to dismiss the murder charges against Jesse Holton. The Elmore County Sheriff's Office has left no stone unturned in the case, and I thank them for their relentless search for truth and justice. So, that's the same story. Different facts. Now, everything Sierra said was 100% true, according to our sources. Caveat. <laughs> everything I said was 100% true, according to our sources. But had I not said what I said, would you not walk away thinking that Madison was 100% guilty? And that all the evidence pointed towards a disgruntled party boy teenager who was frustrated with his parents who was about to be sent to potentially juvie some sort of community service service or who knows and acted out in accordance to that anger but when you look at the facts across the board it points you in a completely new direction this episode was important to both of us because i think it really shows how important media bias is and being able to look beyond what is sensational. Now, from this point on, we're going to be discussing our personal opinions about this case just because this case lends itself to so much personal opinion and interpretation. And I think it's an important conversation to have. But from here on out, it's all opinion. So if you come here for the facts, you can turn <laughs> you can turn this episode <laughs> off now. <laughs> but I don't know. Let's talk about it. What are your thoughts, Sierra? Who do you think done it? Okay, so I was a little bit... I wasn't certain during this thing because as I kept reading different articles, I began to wonder maybe Madison didn't kill his mom, but he came into the room in time to see his dad kill his mom and then Mm -hmm. he shot his dad. However, there's still the issue of his fingerprints not being on the gun. I actually did not know that it was April's fingerprints on the gun, though. Mm -hmm. That is very interesting to me. Right. It was only one solid set of fingerprints that could be lifted off and those belonged to April. Now, that could be that she fought off her husband, allegedly, um, and that's why her fingerprints ended on the gun, or, I don't know, if his hands were, like, clammy, or he was sweaty, or if he was coming down off of opiate, which are one of the side effects of being on those drugs is sweating or fatigue or things like that, so maybe he had clammy hands, or he was shaky and didn't leave a solid fingerprint on the gun, but right. what's for certain, Madison's could not be positively identified uh either right so even though i was wondering maybe he shot just his dad 
I still don't even think that could have happened because 11 minutes is not that much time to get all of those things done. And also, if he was consuming marijuana or alcohol at the party, like those are both depressants. They really, they slowed down your reaction time. They slowed down your thinking. Not that I'm an expert in marijuana, but I would assume it doesn't heighten your like thinking abilities to right. be able to do something like that. Well, typically, I, I'm not a marijuana smoker. <laughs> I don't participate in the devil's lettuce. It's not my not my thing. <laughs> but um, I have family. <laughs> um, no, I had a family member who was on medical marijuana for some years for um, an amputation, and it was it was a pain relief to him. It never made him angry. It chilled him out. And that's just my singular experience. But I can vividly remember one Thanksgiving where he had two ba- <laughs> uh, two vape pins, one in each hand. And he looked at me and he was like, this one makes me hungry. And this one chills me out. And that's how I'm going to survive this holiday. <laughs> and so, you know, weed typically is um, something. you It's the stoner uh, stereotype where they're always like chilled out and they're not really violent people. Well, who knows? That's They're not really known for... It's not like a steroid, you know, where roid rage is a thing or a side effect is is known rage. So being on marijuana, I don't see how that would make you angry. I could see how it could cloud your judgment. Yeah. And for, I will tell you for a while, there are some facts in this case that even I, um, I know I came across really strong as I don't believe he did it and I don't believe he did it. Um, I'll say that right now. That's my bias. I don't think he did it. The evidence does not point to him. And I think that the right call was made here that he should not be prosecuted for this. Um, the whole grabbing two cell phones thing on the way out. I think that's weird. I've seen parts of his interrogation. He does seem very, very cavalier. I've seen the picture of him laughing in the courtroom. Um, but again, all of those things can be explained. When he's in court, he's been in custody for a while or he's been under this situation for a long time. It's, I'm sure, very stressful. Some people deal with stress by humor. I'm not saying that's what he did. Maybe he was just callous and he didn't care. But as for him not being very emotional in his interrogation, that could be chalked up to a great many factors. The fact that he'd been at a party, he could be on marijuana, he could have had alcohol, he could have been in shock. I mean, you never know. And then within his own interview, he comes across as a very 17-year-old boy. (laughs) And um, I say that as someone with, you know, siblings like that. Sometimes they're just so earnest <laughs> that it's just kind of like oh well what i'm saying is true and it's kind of how I, I, he came across he wasn't over the top and his uncle wasn't there wasn't the interrogation with him i believe it was chris was in there with him and they called him in he didn't know what happened he the uncle has stated at some or chris has stated at some point that he wasn't sure if he was um guilty or not there's a dateline episode where they interview all of these people i couldn't find the full episode but i was able to watch clips of it at one point, the sheriff tells Madison that the doctor downstairs believes that he had shot his parents and that his dad couldn't have shot himself. And Madison says, I don't care. I didn't shoot my parents. So it could just be that he's not overly emotional because he knows he didn't do it. But who knows? There's a million different reasons that a million different people could react a million different ways. That's right. We can never just expect one distinct type of emotional reaction from someone, especially not someone like you mentioned, who's possibly been consuming alcohol, marijuana, all of these different 
drugs that will alter your mood dramatically. And of course, shock, like you said as well. Right. And mixing those things with Adderall, bad idea. <laughs> yeah. And Adderall also is supposed to calm you down because it's supposed to help people with ADHD focus and stuff. So, yeah, it's very, very odd. Um, I do think this was a case of mental health getting the better of somebody and causing them to act in a way that was irreversible. Um, I know April, she was taken out of the scene alive and she passed away the next day due to her injuries. But she was taken away and it's one of those cases that you just wish. Because it's also reported that when they got on scene, she was calling for help. And I don't know how true that is if she'd been fatally shot in the head. But it's one of those things where you wish like, if only she could have been able to to say something or or speak. But I think the 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 DNA evidence under her nails and the scratch mark on her estranged husband's face are are very damning. Yeah, that's very compelling. And this is one of the reasons. Like we both obviously both of us are writers. We've taken courses in journalism. I've written journalistic pieces in the past. And one thing that just kind of floored me about these articles that I was reading with some of the misinformation you'd find the conflicting information within articles which I know Sierra had some trouble with that as well yeah like for one thing one article said that 911 was called because of a gunshot but Madison never said he heard it and I couldn't find in other articles if the neighbor actually heard a gunshot or if it was because of what another article said was there was trouble at the Holton residence one article and a caption called them Horton instead of Holton. Granted, that wasn't through the whole article, but, you know, changing the name. Just different details or the way things were presented. I wasn't sure of the exact timeline. Right. And media bias is such mm-hmm. a huge problem. We have in this, like, we are obviously, we're American. Uh, it's a huge problem in this country. Just, it's it's a polarizing topic. It's very, you, we hear fake news, fake news all the time. And I don't really think we have a problem as much with fake news as we do with bias in presenting the news. I have something I wanted to say about that. Going back to the Montgomery Advertiser with their opening line about him smoking a cigarette at his next door neighbor's home where mere moments after he allegedly shot his mother and father. That was the opening line to that article. And that was very intentional. You do not start a piece that way unless you're trying to present your key person in a certain light. Exactly. They make sure they include that he is smoking, so we know that he's acting casually, um, which smoking can also be a stress reaction. I was about to say that also. I know smokers, and they smoke when they need to chill out, so that when when they need to calm themselves down after something stressful. So, Right. That could be, you know, he's just seen something horrible, and um, he needs needs to calm down for a second. And the word allegedly in there, that's to avoid libel, but it's not to avoid... I, I love and I hate the word alleged because allegedly <laughs> it's great because you can't just say, oh, so-and-so did something. That's libel and you can be sued for that because libel is written defamation and defamation, which is when you speak of fun writing terms with Kaylee and Sierra. Um, <laughs> defamation is a false statement that is damaging to somebody. That's Defamation is verbal. Libel is published, written. That's what you would find in a newspaper. That would be libel. So you throw the word allegedly in there to save yourself from a libel lawsuit if it ever comes out that this kid is not guilty, it's not to save your reader from any, it's not to save your reader from coming to a conclusion that is not accurate. You are trying to lead them to that sort of um, understanding. Yes. So the alleged is not for the reader. It's for your, it's for your lawyer. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes you have to, 
you have to use words like alleged or suspected when it comes to things when you do reportage on car accidents. The driver was allegedly doing this. It's not been officially charged, but you need to be able to say this is what re- you need to be able to say this is what's been reported, but it's not been charged. We can't say that otherwise it's libel. It's very useful. But when it comes to pieces like this, I just find it to be sneaky because you're mm-hmm. telling your reader how to feel right in the beginning. You're letting him know this kid is casually smoking a cigarette and he just allegedly shot his parents. Yeah. Um, I was irritated by that first line. I was so irritated. It's, it's irritating. And as, a, as someone who's done journalistic work, I had a professor in college, um, loved her to death, scary woman. <laughs> she is intense. But mm-hmm. one thing she did on one of the first days of class, she, first of all, she told us she was going to make us all journalists. And I walked in there as someone with creative writing <laughs> ideation. That's what I wanted. And I was like, you're never going to change me. She changed me. <laughs> um, I, can, I did my internship uh, in journalism, and I'd love to get back to those roots. I, I still have a love of creative writing, but journalism is just so fun. Thank you, Professor, who I won't name. Uh, but <laughs> one thing she said, and I wonder if she said this in your class as well, Sierra, because we had we graduated from the same college we have the same degree but we did this classes in different years she asked us if we thought we were biased or if we had bias mm-hmm. and we yep. right with bias and of course we're not stupid <laughs> we all said no we will not write with bias we don't have bias and she said wrong everyone has a bias your job is to let it get into your pieces as little as humanly possible and to consider everything you say, and then to consider it again, and think about how no matter what you say, that could influence someone. That could be a, a leaning word. That could be showing bias. And while it is impossible to not be biased, it is not impossible to write unbiasedly. And that just did not happen with this case. No, it didn't. I don't want to get too far off on a tangent with journalism and bias and everything, but that's why I personally have a really hard time with reading journalistic pieces because journalism in America, you need to stay relevant so that you have readers and so that you can make money. So they make the stories sensational. They try to make them sound like stories. And the problem is that sometimes the facts will get muddled. And I always tell my friends, do not trust a journalistic piece that uses a lot of adjectives or adverbs because those are not quantifiable the art the writer is trying to sway you a certain way right and that's a, that's so true because you don't have to come out and say everything directly you can just use enough leaning words to let you know this is what the writer thinks and with a true crime podcast uh clearly we're we're creatively presenting these facts um and we're not but it's trying- not journalism it's different right. right we're not trying to we're not reporters i'm not breaking any news every story that i tell you about is someone's story and I'm being respectful and cognizant of that but the facts are out there so that's different some of these like articles if they were writing doing a write-up on the situation years later that's different however they're not some of these are breaking news and that's how they chose to write the story because it's sensational it's um you know it's uh it's easy to get people to click on an article that leads with local boy kills parents over party. Yeah. And or local teenager kills ex-mayor father over 
blah, blah, blah. And there's some sensational details to this case. Like, I think most of us, I'm not a parent, <laughs> but I, I can't imagine wanting to handcuff my child. I mean, I can, I can say that I understand that kind of, uh, Sierra and I have both with children and sometimes you just kind of, you need a moment, you need them to sit down and reflect. So I'm not saying that it's completely outside the realm of possibility for this to have happened, but it's not a typical everyday punishment you see. And um, Michael Holton met the cops outside and was like, just so you know, I have my son handcuffed inside and I want you to take him into custody. That's not a normal place for a parent to be pushed to. Right. I don't think that's inflammatory to say. <laughs> it's not every day. Right. Yeah. So there was a buildup. Like, there was apparently a lot of the articles said that he was going through a rebellious phase. And some even went so far as to say that was the one thing April and Michael could agree on. Like, that they were working together to try to help their son get through this phase or something like that. Right. That effect. So taking the law into his own hands was a bit strange. And we can see that there's clearly some sort of imbalance there. So as even though it's being touted that it was an opportunistic murder for from Madison's perspective, it was also a very opportunistic moment from Michael's perspective where he had, in fact, said, you know, it's either me or it's both of us. Right. And his son, who's 17, so he's probably, I mean, he's young, but he could still be a force if he wanted to. His son is restrained in a different room. So he's alone with his wife. He has a chance. Crime of passion. Makes sense. And they could have gotten into an argument because who knows, maybe one of them or maybe she didn't want charges to be pressed. Maybe they disagreed on how to handle the situation or you never know. We weren't in that room and everyone who was in that room is now deceased. And it's 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 wild. But I definitely don't think I don't think Madison did it. And I don't think the that media really I think they went with what they had. But I think this just shows you why when even when breaking news happens, yeah gotta be you gotta be cognizant of the fact that things can be said that are not quite they're not unbiased just because it's coming from a news source and dateline did an episode about this it's season 10 episode 43 i could not find it on any streaming service i even tried to pay for it which (gasps) never happens (laughs) (laughs) um but i couldn't find it um i hope i find it because i'd like to see it but they have a clip of it on youtube it was posted um march 3rd 2022 and looking through the comments there are a couple of comments that just kind of show why it's important to have some like media literacy here's one that just uh, made me laugh and made me kind of sad someone said what happened to that couple in just one word madison case closed i didn't even finish watching this yikes and that was just wild to me First of all, this individual spelled Madison wrong. Two D's. It's only one. This is the this is a symptom of media bias, and this is poor writing in general. If you were to have only read that the first lines of that one article that Sierra mentioned, right about him smoking the cigarette, at mere moment, mere moments. There's one of those adjectives again. Mere, mere moments. moments. I don't have that pulled up. Hold on. I had that article earlier. If you just read that first line of that article where it says mere moments after Madison allegedly shot his parents and then he's smoking a cigarette, blah, blah, blah. If that's where you stopped, what do you know about that case? Alabama teenager shot his parents. That's all you need to know. 
and by reading biased media and dishonest reportage of facts, you walk away with the, I don't want to say wrong opinion because it's an opinion, but you walk away with an incomplete picture. And when it comes to guilty versus innocent, having the whole picture is so important. This has been, so you and I have been talking about having a podcast for several months. And this is one of the first things I said I wanted to do was I wanted us to go over this case. I wanted us each to take a part of it and just show how you can see both sides and how by not giving all of the facts, your opinion could be vastly different. Now, you might have listened to all of that and still think, yeah, Madison did it. Valid. I'd love to know why. Um, what <laughs> what has made you believe that? Because, again, we can't talk to April. We can't talk to Mike. We can just go off what we know. But yeah, be careful with your news media out there. Yeah. Look out for those adjectives and adverbs. Yeah, keep an eye and, out. And emotional verbs and nouns. Emotion, yeah. Because um, what gets good clicks? A good emotional article. Mm. Something that's really draw. Yeah, draw you in, make you feel bad, make you feel sad. And I, I don't know. I still think it's a pretty big indication of how the family feels about this, just based on the fact that they took Madison in afterwards. They are still, you know, on his side. They don't think that he did this, which, you know, I think could say a lot about Madison. It could also say a lot about Mike. Yeah. And what kind of man that he was. Anything else you'd like to add, Sierra? I, I I agree with you that the family's reaction speaks volumes. And again, we still have those scratch marks on Michael's face, the DNA under April's fingers. Like, I do think it was Michael who did it, personally. I would agree with that. As, just because I find it very unlikely that a teenager who's potentially under the influence has become a criminal mastermind in under 10 minutes and has managed to take out both parents because it's kind of alluding to it earlier i think it's a bit unlikely that he was able to shoot one parent and then shoot the other especially since i guess it could be really quick very fast but if his mom had the time to kind of throw her hands up and protect her face or try to protect her face i feel like that would have given enough time for at least one parent to try and wrestle for the gun or something yeah. At the very least, it, it shows me a little bit more than 10 minutes would have needed been needed there. But if it was just one individual attacking the other and then taking their own life, that makes more sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, it's a very sad situation. But I'm glad that the charges were dropped against Madison and he can kind of go on with life now. I mean, obviously, that's always in his past and something that he'll have to remember. And, you know, for his brothers as well. Such I mean, a tragedy. Right. They lost both of their parents the same day or well essentially the same day and you know they could have lost their brother too this is a case on the importance of media literacy i think it's a good skill to have to be able to to pick out what could potentially be biased media coverage yep i agree it's very important especially in the u.s especially in the u.s where we love to get emotional <laughs> mm-hmm. all right that wraps us up for next this week Next week, it is my case, and we'll be going over both the Tylenol and the Excedrin murders, which will be fun and make you lose faith in over-the-counter medication. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think Sierra's familiar with this case, are you? 
I am not familiar with this case. All right. Well, it'll definitely be interesting. We'll be kind of merging the two together, focusing more on the Excedrin um, side of it because that is a solved mystery and we tend to avoid unsolved because we're both perfectionists and we need to know what happens. <laughs> um, but we'll be, you know, doing an overview of the Tylenol and go into the Excedrin murders. I'm looking forward to it. All right. We will see you all next week. Until then. Be aware. Take care. And we'll see you there. Bye. Bye.